Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame lambasted Pitt on Saturday, 58-7, to and we'll head to Clemson for a matchup that's lost a lot of luster over the past month, but it's still an important one for the Irish as they try to win out and put themselves in position for a New Year's Six Bowl. That's why the first release of the college football playoff rankings this week will have some importance for Notre Dame to help dissect Notre Dame's postseason possibilities. We've invited Jerry Palm of CBS Sports onto the podcast. Jerry is CBS Sports' college football playoff expert in addition to bracketologist. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Jerry, I, I guess going into this first rankings release, what 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 do you feel like are the biggest questions that you had in terms of what what you thought the committee may have the toughest time deciding between. Uh, well, I, you've got five undefeated teams that are all pretty different. And, um, you know, Georgia's a two-time defending champion, but that's not criteria for the committee, right? They're judging them based on this year. And this year, you know, their strength of schedule so far is significantly worse than the other five teams, four teams, um, which may sound surprising when you think of Michigan's schedule. But Georgia's schedule has got, you know, only two teams that are above 500, and Michigan's got four. They each have a four and four team. But everybody, almost everybody Georgia's played has got two wins, um, except for they also have an FCS opponent, uh, UT Martin, Tennessee Martin, uh, which is a good FCS team, but still FCS. And Michigan's schedule is, you know, in the top 65, but Georgia's down around 110. And you know, when your strength of schedule is that much different negatively than everybody else's, it's hard to make much of a case for Georgia to be higher than five among this group. But I'll be curious to see what the committee does because Georgia has played well against their schedule. but They haven't really been the machine that Michigan has been. I mean, they're, Michigan's winning by an average of, oh, uh, it's like 32 points a game, something like that. It's more than 11 points more than number two Oregon on that list. And it's uh, it's it's just a not that that stat is, is criteria for the committee either, but they do look at things like game control and how you dominate. And then, um, I mean, Michigan is dominating it at a way we re- we rarely see, except maybe the last two Georgia teams. So, um, you know, whereas Georgia's Georgia winning, and they're winning comfortably, but they're giving up 17, 20 points to just about everybody they've played. So, um, I just feel like it's a little different, but I, I kind of want to see where, how, you know, will they value Michigan's dominance over Ohio State's strength of schedule and quality wins? Uh, how will they sort out Florida State, Washington, Georgia? How are they going to sort out the one-loss teams? Because if you look at um, the one-loss teams, there's seven that are going to be probably in the next group. Penn State's the only team that hasn't played one of the others, well, in Oregon, have not played one of the other six. Now, they've both played an undefeated team. Uh, that's where they got their loss, but they haven't played one of the others. But you've got Texas has beaten Alabama. Uh, Oklahoma beat Texas. Um, you know, uh, Alabama beat Mississippi. So, you know, you've got all this head-to-head in there. You could just make a chain of that. Um, I don't think they're going to do that, but they certainly could because uh, head-to-head is something they value in situations they feel are closely contested. So there's a lot to sort out among the top dozen teams here uh, in the, in the first set of rankings. Jerry, before I launch into my two part question, did you make a projection of 
a guess what you think the top four will be? Yeah, I have Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, and Georgia at five. Okay. So my my follow-up then is if this Michigan thing with the uh, spying becomes more than just allegations, becomes really, really serious, do you think at some point that's going to affect how the committee looks at Michigan, and do you think it should affect how the committee looks at Michigan? Yeah, the answer to those questions are no and no. Um, the, it is not the committee's job to adjudicate NCAA infractions. That's, that's not what they do. That's the NCAA's job. If the NCAA decides that Michigan is ineligible for the postseason this year, then they have to deal with it. That would be a miracle because, as we all know, the wheels of justice move slowly at the NCAA. They're more likely to be given a postseason ban in 2030 than in 2023. But, um, you know, regardless, it's it's just not something that – until Michigan is found guilty of something and punished in some way, it's not the committee's job to treat them as anything other than what they've been on the field. Jerry, in your projected uh, top 25 for the playoff rankings, you have Notre Dame at 13. And I should mention to listeners who may be listening to this after Tuesday that we are recording this Tuesday before the rankings come out. Um, what, In terms of where you slotted Notre Dame and where you think Notre Dame could be in the future, why did you put them at 13? And do you think they can get into the top 10 by the end of the season? Yeah, and that'll be important for them if they want to be uh, in a New Year's Six game. I think mm-hmm. that 10... You might get there at 11. The 12th spot is probably going to the group of five champions. So 11 is really the floor. And I think 10 would be safer uh, in terms of trying to get into a New Year's Six game. Yeah, they can, certainly. Um, they still have some good opponents on their schedule. Um, it's uh, you, you, And there will be attrition. You know, they don't have a conference championship game. So they're going to stop at 12. And most of the teams, frankly, that they're competing with will also stop at 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only two-loss team I have projected ahead of them at the moment is LSU. They're playing Alabama this week. If they're lucky enough to beat Alabama, they may get a shot at Georgia, you know, it's, and then Mississippi's, you know, there are teams ahead of them that all have to play each other that if Notre Dame just continues to win and can get to 10 and two, then they've got, I think a decent shot at playing in a new year's six game. It probably won't be the orange bowl uh, because the orange bowl is an ACC team, but Notre Dame's not part of that. They're part of the other side, which means that they're competing with most likely the Ohio State-Michigan loser for a spot in that game. Unless they both make the college football playoff, then you're competing with Penn State, which would be a little more favorable for Notre Dame perhaps. But anyways, probably not the Orange Bowl, one of the other games. But if they can get to 10-2, and two, I think you have to like their chances of finishing in the top 10 and, and landing one of those spots. Okay, Jerry, our um... – fan base, at least the media, would be heartbroken if your projection of the Pop-Tarts Bowl is true for Notre Dame, playing <laughs> a Big 12 team rather than playing the ReliaQuest Bowl versus LSU. That's kind of our dream media matchup anyways. What what has you putting Miami ahead of Notre Dame in that pecking order? Do you think Notre Dame is going to lose to Clemson this weekend? Is that kind of based on uh- your projection? Well, actually, the the Pop Tarts Bowl is higher in the ACC pecking order, I believe. Oh, wow! So that's why Notre Dame is there. Um, the Rely Quest Bowl would would be the one after the Pop Tarts Bowl. 
That's the way I understand it. So, and it's always, so far as I know, it's, it's the Pop-Tarts Bowl has had the first choice outside of um, the the ACC, outside of the college football playoff games in year six games. For, for the ACC, they get the second choice for, from the Big 12 uh, because the Alamo gets the first choice. Boy, that seems uh, seems backward, even though I know what a Pop-Tart is and I don't know what a ReliaQuest is. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what ReliaQuest is either. Um, I'm, I'm glad nobody ever quizzes me on what all the sponsors are because, you know, I, I could get maybe half of them. Um, I don't know what a 68 Ventures is either. Uh, but the Pop-Tarts Bowl is in Orlando. It used to be the Cheez-It Bowl uh, until this year. Yeah. So good game their name's been there before and orlando's always a great time so um you know but you'd probably get a better opponent maybe maybe in the uh rely quest bowl the last time notre dame was in orlando it was like 48 degrees it was like a record (laughs) cold so i'm not sure that they have great memories of it uh but uh just following up on you crafting looking at notre dame's resume evaluating it how important is it that USC stay in the top 25? And they've got some really difficult games remaining with Oregon, Washington, and UCLA. Yeah, um, it helps for sure for them to be in the top 25. Uh, the, that's the college football playoff committee's top 25. Nobody cares about the AP after this week. Um, that Those are the rankings that matter. And they're the rankings that matter to the committee. I think it's important for them to stay up there. I think it's important for Louisville to finish well. Um, maybe for Duke to crawl back into the top 25. Uh, it's probably asking too much of that for from Clemson at this point, um, especially because you have to give them a fifth loss. Uh, and seven and five Clemson is probably not a top 25 team. So it would be helpful, you know, for these, you know, it's always helpful for your opponents to play well and, and because those games then make you look better. So, yeah, it's, you, you want all of these teams to do well. That you're asking maybe a lot of USC too, considering they couldn't stop anybody. <laughs> they're they're winning games fifty. They have to win games fifty to forty nine. Gary, do does the fact that Notre Dame has a, a handful of blowout wins on its record now, ignoring Tennessee State and Navy, but even against Pitt, Pittsburgh and USC and NC State, Notre Dame has really had some lopsided victories. Do you do, will you think that will help Notre Dame in the long run, or is that not not as important when we get farther down the list? thing that they they like to talk about so yeah it's you know if nc state is eight and four sure if nc state ends up six and six right then yeah you know so um the really the i mean the the big wins you know the the pittsburgh is is terrible you know you just (laughs) might as well with navy and tennessee state but you know the usc win if if usc ends up eight and three or you know uh, 10 and two or 11 and two of the Pac-12 champion, which doesn't seem likely, but you know, it's not like talent's the problem there. Um, you know, then that, that big win looks a lot bigger. So yeah, certainly uh, you always want your opponents to do well. The margin of victory in those games is less important than those opponents just looking like good opponents. Got it. Jerry, as we move into the 12 team era, next year what are you most looking forward to in that format and it seems like the the top of the heap isn't going to be as important since, since it's kind of tied in the conference championships um as much as it seems like nine through 14 is going to be the sweet spot in 
next year's reveals if they even do those on ESPN. Oh yeah, I'm sure they will. I mean, I don't know if it'll be on ESPN, I assume, but uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll be revealing their rankings as they always have. Um, but you're right. We'll be looking further down, but the top four are important because I mean, maybe not the top four in the rankings, but the, you're going to be looking for the four highest rated conference champions because they get buys. Right. And so, and then the next four get the host games. So, you know, I, I think the thing I'm looking forward to is Alabama having to travel somewhere and in cold weather game, you <laughs> having to play a cold weather game, you know, just to get to the second round of the, of the uh, playoff. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that would be a lot of fun. But, you know, if you were looking at just the rankings that I have now, mm-hmm. uh, Ohio State would be the conference champion and Michigan couldn't be any higher than the fifth seed because they can't both be a conference champion. So you could see some odd seeding quirks because you might have teams that didn't win their conference in the top four and getting kicked down to number five or if there's more than one of them, five and six. Yeah, I was curious as someone who evaluates all these teams on a yearly basis that are competing for the playoff. Do you think we'll get twelve versus five, eleven versus six upsets, or are we more likely to get teams that are bumped down, like you said, because they can't be conference champions, and then they're just going to blow out those lower seeded teams at, uh, in that first round? Yeah, I mean you can't rule it out, and th- those teams are going to be on the road, right? I mean right. these are going to be home field games. Uh, although I guess the host has the right to move the game to a nearby site that's not their own stadium uh like if you wanted to play indoors you know mm-hmm. so Purdue wanted to play in indianapolis in the dome if assuming it's available they could <laughs> Purdue. Um, <laughs> i mean boiler maker i can dream um but uh so you know they uh but yeah I mean, you, it's going to be harder for those first round upsets because you're playing on the road but when you've got and especially 12 is probably going to be not the 12th rated team, but maybe somebody like 15 or 18, you know, that that, yeah. ha- that comes in as uh, the best conference champion left. Uh, you know, those teams are going to be bigger underdogs, but the 7-10 games, the 8-9 games are going to be pretty much toss-ups, but you also have home field advantage. I think the, the real uh, bigger chance for upsets is the next round where you've got teams that have played, right? So as long as you haven't suffered, you know, traumatic injuries of some sort They're, they've gotten the, the playoff nerves out and now you're on a neutral field against these higher rated teams i think that's the round where you might see higher rate of upsets jerry i mean you've been following this this is the 10th year of the four team playoff 10th and final year um do you think that the four team playoff has been as good for college football as they had hoped and do you think I know the committee members change over time, but do you think the committee largely gets the field right? Yeah, I I, I very rarely have a complaint about the final field. I mean, I may nitpick rankings for this week and you know next few weeks when you've got so many teams that look the same, but it does tend to sort itself out in the end. Um, and I yeah, the four teams are better. Um, I don't know for sure that we still have a playoff where everybody who could win it has room to be in it. Uh, that will definitely not be a problem. And the, and the next level, when we have 12 teams, everybody w- w- who's legitimately good enough to win the college football playoff will be in the playoff at that point. Um, so I, I think that's the biggest thing that that fixes. Uh, but the the 14 playoff has certainly been better than two because we've had years – 
We may have one this year where you've got more than two undefeated teams. That actually happened in the two-team playoff. And what do you do then? So they couldn't do anything then. At least now you've got room for four undefeated teams, which has yet to happen. Gary, I think the two variables on Notre Dame's resume that are the most interesting to track, in my opinion, are Louisville and USC. Who do you think finishes stronger between those two teams? Can Louisville keep this up? Or can USC get back on track? What do you think is more likely? I would say I have more faith in Louisville, in part because, and this is weird to say with the Jeff Brom team, they win with their defense. You know, that's a good defensive team. Now, the offense is obviously capable as well, uh, but Louisville generally is is winning with their defense. And I trust teams that can rely on their defense more than I trust teams that rely only on their offense, even an offense as good and as talented as the Trojans. And then uh, with Notre Dame, just this is the last one from me, Jerry. The there was always kind of the thought among Notre Dame fans when they didn't get in the playoff that oh, we need to add a thirteenth game. We need to be in a conference like everybody else. It seems like this twelve-team playoff completely takes that argument away because the highest they can finish anyways is fifth, right? Because they're not in a conference. What what right. do you think about? that statement that thought yeah i i just as a an observer as someone with no connection to the school i always thought notre dame would give up its independence only when it became no longer viable financially to be an independent and that hasn't happened that doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon um yeah a 12 team playoff definitely makes it easier for notre dame to have access to the playoff even if they can't get access to that bye week um, because they're not in a conference, and those are conference champions, at least for now. Um, I still be- it's still a better situation for Notre Dame. They're going to make more playoffs. It, like most teams, you, you have greater access. You have a greater chance at getting that access. All right, Jerry, I'll leave you with this one since your top two seeds in your projected playoff are Ohio State and Michigan. Who do you think wins in Ohio State, Michigan? Uh, Michigan at home. I All always right. like home. And it, and. Michigan is so far to me the best team in college football. Ohio State is absolutely capable of beating them. And unlike Gabe from maybe the last couple of years, that one's going to be a defensive struggle. It's going to be hard for both those teams to score. Ohio State's defense is really good. Mm-hmm. Michigan's defense is about as good as it gets. So, uh, but I like Michigan at home. All right, Jerry. Well, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and good luck with your projection accuracy. All right. Thank you. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our promo that we're offering for InsideNDSports.com. We are offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Inside Knowledge message board, and you don't even have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com. You can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from at Charles W. Wolf. Has there been any reporting on the mood in the Clemson locker room? I believe they have the talent, especially on defense, to challenge Notre Dame but I am wondering if they may mentally check out after last week's loss and a noon kick may not bring a lot of juice. I think Notre Dame coming to 
Clemson, South Carolina is going to bring some juice for them. I mean, if there's anything that's going to get them motivated, even with, you know, the, I guess, turmoil, I don't know if that's too strong a word, but the way that Dabo Sweeney is handling things outwardly isn't very good. Um, you know, he criticized his quarterback, Kate Klubnick, for ad-libbing a play at the goal line in the second overtime of the Miami game. He And it was an awful play. He ended up running wide. He was supposed to hand off to one of the running backs from the one-foot line on fourth and goal in the second overtime, and he took like an eight-yard loss on that wide running play. Then he had a radio show rant. Um, but I do think you may, maybe he's getting it back and getting back locked in. They had a press conference today and he wished all the reporters happy Halloween and asked if any of them had a clever Halloween costume. And one of the guys said, yeah, I'm Tyler from Spartanburg, which is the caller that set him off. And he laughed at that. So we'll see. Um, but I would not, I, I don't think that Clemson's Offensive problems are going to go away, even if they're juiced up. I, I do think this is a dangerous game because when when you have a defense that's that good, it's going to keep you in every game. Yeah, and I, it's I don't know that it Clemson has been losing its games for a lack of like motivation. Um, so I don't I don't really think that like this is like the fourth loss is somehow going to be like the magic point where they're like, okay, now we're done. We don't care anymore. I I think. I think they're going to still care. I, I don't expect them to check out. I think that the program has too much pride and too much past success and probably wants to prove a lot of the naysayers wrong um, that are doubting Clemson. And I mean, as Eric and I discussed a little bit on football, never sleeps on Monday, that is this like the beginning of the end for Clemson's program being at the elite level that it was. Um, so I, I da- <laughs> like my Eric mentioned, <laughs> Dabo's pretty fired up right now. Um, based on the, the reaction he had to the caller on his show, I, ma- I imagine he is using that as well within the within the locker room. So I would expect Notre, Notre Dame to get a focused Clemson team. I think the cr- the crowd maybe is a little bit different. Maybe the fan base isn't as fired up for it, but I would expect the team to still be uh, fired up. Um, that was the only question we had about Clemson, Eric, which kind of surprised me. We had a yeah. lot of a lot of forward looking questions. Um, but before we do that, we have a couple of Pittsburgh-related questions from Baba Ganoush at P-L-A-C-T underscore I-T-F-D-B. What's your take on Jaden Thomas's health? It was great to see him play a role Saturday, but the commentator noted it looked like he pulled up on the long pass route. Do you think his hammy is re-aggravated? Also, is Jaden Greathouse still considered healthy after his hamstring issues? It seemed like we answered this in Football Never Sleeps, but maybe I was dreaming about it. Um we did, but it's not necessarily the same audience. Right, right. I understand that. So, Great House played 44 snaps, which was the most of any wide receiver. So, we'll start with him. I don't, so I don't think that's an issue. I think maybe playing outside receiver, which requires some adjustments on him, his part. And remember, he's just a freshman still. And you know, maybe that's why we didn't see more opportunities for him and more production from him in that game. So 44 snaps, most of any wide receiver. Jaden Thomas only played 11. And so that kind of hints that, yeah, maybe they're taking it easy with him coming back. 
He was singled out by Marcus Freeman on Monday for a block that he made on one of Audric Estime's touchdowns. Uh, my sense is that he's easing back slowly and probably not 100% yet, rather than he re-aggravated things. Um, again, I plan to check, kind of circle back to that on Thursday and ask Marcus about that. But when he brought up injuries on his own, he did not bring up Jaden Thomas being a concern. Yeah, um, but it, it, he hasn't talked a, a ton about Jaden Thomas being a concern, even in this because right. Jaden has been playing, but Jaden hasn't pl- been playing to the level right. that we expect from Jaden Thomas. So I think it's it's fair to certainly wonder where he's at with that health. Absolutely, especially with eleven snaps. Yeah, and so it's something that we're monitor- monitoring. Um, even when he's been out there, like I said, like he just doesn't look the same. And like, I don't know if he, I don't remember seeing him like pull up on that play. I just didn't see him seeming as fast as I think Jaden Thomas is. So I just feel like there's, he just isn't necessarily hundred percent and that he can so, so, sort of totally like let loose. Like he could um, when he was, if he was at full health. Um, and so I think that's something we, we will have to keep watching. And then uh, like Eric mentioned, I'm, I, I'm starting to wonder if Great House is back to being be- better health-wise, but his production is being limited by playing outside. Um, so I, I, that's something uh, I think I might ask Jared Parker about tonight if we get the opportunity to. All right, another question from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Early drives look like Jared Parker did a nice job with play calling by attacking the perimeter with run and pass once pit adjusted. What's your opinion on how quickly Parker countered by going away from perimeter stuff? Did he go to the well a few too many, a few times too many? Tyler's going to give you a better depth answer on this because he looks at the replay, uh, the film replay, and I don't. Um, what I will say is 535 total yards is the most they've had versus a power five team this year, and they did it against a defense that hadn't given up more than 427 to anybody was 26 in the country in total defense. They held that high-powered North Carolina offense and Drake May under 400 yards, and they had a season-high 380 passing yards. So, And they mixed in downfield shots. For me, I guess I looked at it more big picture than trying to figure out when there was a – and I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to look at it rather than seeing – when there was a shift, but they were able to run the ball and they were also able to make Pitt pay for sitting on the run. Those are the two things I was kind of looking for to come out of this game. And they were able to do that against the Pitt defense that was kind of built that way. Yeah. I I almost excluded this question because I didn't necessarily follow the line of thinking. Um, but we, we had so few like questions about what's going on right now that I wanted to include it. So I, I I'm just not like so I would I would I would have asked like a follow up question to Bobby and it's like hey what what exactly do you mean by like to me like Notre Dame was having success in the cu- first couple of drives through the pass but not on the ground um, but then obviously it let that led to a couple interceptions um, and then Notre Dame needed to get its running game going which it eventually did um, and so I I didn't I didn't feel like there was like a notable adjustment that Pitt made that like made Notre Dame's offense struggle more than it was earlier. 
So I, I don't know. I think I, maybe Pitt was being more concerned with the pass a, a, after the way Notre Dame was passing the ball to start the game, and that opened th- things up for the running game. Um, but I thought Notre Dame was pretty balanced in terms of inside and outside runs. Um, and as is normally the case, leaned on leave, leaned on running to the left more than the right, which I would do as well because that's where Joe Alt is. So, um, I would be like, if Baba Ganesh wants to follow up with more specifics in the question on, on Twitter, I would, I'd be interested in hearing what he had to say. All right. Next question is from Chris Scheiber at Scheiber 43. It feels like there is a discernible difference in the amount of freshmen and sophomores on the two deep under Marcus Freeman. Is it a real thought or just more underclassmen making a difference at skill positions? Um, yes and no. I mean, the wide receiver position, there hasn't been a lot of opportunities or freshmen that develop quickly at that position during the 12 years Brian Kelly was here. There were three players that had double-digit receptions as freshmen, and that was TJ Jones, Kevin Stefferson, and uh, Lorenzo Styles. And now they have two this year that have fit that category. So in the two Marcus Freeman eras, you have two freshmen already that have fit that profile. I think during Brian Kelly's era, it was it was kind of a by-position thing. I think there were certain assistants, and Brian Kelly would endorse the assistants, that were more hesitant to play freshmen at certain positions and not always the positions you associate needing you know, maturity to play at positions. The one thing is that doesn't seem to be position specific for Marcus. It seems like if you're getting good enough to get on the field, they will give you opportunities. And so, yeah, we're seeing it at tight end. We're seeing it at wide receiver. We're seeing a freshman running back kind of be the number two guy. Uh, We saw Christian Gray play a lot of snaps at cornerback. And, you know, the it's not like they're pushing those safeties forward at the safety position, the freshman safeties. Um, you know, there's some really talented young linebackers. The older guys are playing there. So, again, I think if you're good enough to play and the circumstances are there, Notre Dame will invest in you and live with it, kind of like they did with Ben Morrison last year. I mean, the first half of the year he struggled. He gets to the Clemson game. He turns into a freshman All-American and and stays in that mode the rest of the year. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I certainly I think the it's a reflection that Notre Dame has recruiting talent um, that is that it wants to get in the mix. But I, I think my hypothesis is that it has a lot to do with the transfer portal um, and that Notre Dame has more holes on its roster because of the transfer portal, like the Notre Dame's junior class is very thin. Like there are not a lot of juniors and that's not normally what happens at Notre Dame. Um, And so there's opening up the opportunity for guys to be backups as freshmen and sophomores because of that. If you, if you're a junior and senior now and you're playing at a position that doesn't rotate, you're probably not sticking around as much um, in this transfer portal era. Now it is a little bit different at Notre Dame because there are those guys that are like, I came here for a Notre Dame degree, so I'm not leaving until I graduate. Um, But I think, I think that's something that we'll probably continue to see across college football um, and not just specific to Notre Dame. 
All right. Next question uh, from Ryan at our Rye Chand 12. Defensive depth going forward? Question mark. I need a. You need to decode that for me. I don't know. I, I said yes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I just assumed he was asking, do we have defensive depth going forward? For the rest of this season? Uh, and maybe next season. I, I, I guess I couldn't tell you exactly for sure. I, I was thinking more for the future beyond this season. Okay. Um, I mean, the way they're recruiting, yeah, I, I love the way it's going. I mean, there's going to be some turnover at the end of this season, again, there's not a lot of guys that have to leave on defense. There's three of them, uh, but there are n- not just three people, not just Thomas Harper, DJ Brown, and uh, JJB. Those, it's going to be more people than that leave. But you look at the recruiting at all the positions and you feel pretty good about where Notre Dame is headed with its depth and the fact that. Al Golden likes to play a lot of players uh, and they seem to be able to step up and, and contribute. So yeah, I like the defensive depth on this team and I like the defensive depth as it's building in future years. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the depth is good now and I, and I think we'll see that continue in the future. I do have a little concern about Notre Dame's defensive recruiting in the 2024 class that the Notre Dame's, elite recruiting is more leaning towards offense than defense right now. Only two of the top seven 2024 commits are on defense and that's Kingston, Villiamuasa and, and Bronte Johnson. Now maybe that's just a reflection of Notre Dame was pretty good on defense in, in the classes before that. Um, but I do think that's something that has been at least surprising to me in, in monitoring the 2024 class that the offensive recruits have sort of piled up um, at the top especially when Notre Dame has been going through an offensive transition for, at, at coordinator um, and along with its coaching staff. Um, but I think that also speaks to the value of having like someone like CJ Carr in the class. And I think that should continue in 20 yeah, to 25 and, with Deuce Knight. And there may be guys that are underrated. I mean, Bubakar Traore kind of now he didn't play last year, but he fell out of the top 250 and he looks, he looks the part I mean, he looks like a top 250 type player and, and and there's other guys too that kind of right you know Bodie Cahoon has these incredible stats I'm really curious as to how real those are in terms of projecting to the college level so you may have some players that aren't ranked high that end up being pretty productive and pretty early risers sure absolutely all right next question is from at Henry Bede who do you think will be the starting five offensive linemen in 2024 and at which positions will they play? We're kicking this around a little bit on uh, Football Never Sleeps on Monday night. And I think Tyler and I are going to differ here. And 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 I think there's going to be a lot of competition. So I'm not saying this is set in stone. But my sense is to get Blake Fisher really interested in coming back for his senior year at Notre Dame, that they will... Um, tease or or they will offer him a chance to compete to be a left tackle and so that's why I'm putting him at left tackle I think that Tyler likes him more as a right tackle so I have from left tackle to right tackle I have Blake Fisher Billy Shrouth as left guard Pat Coogan as the center Rocco Spindler as the right guard and Emil Wagner as the right tackle but there are three or four other guys that could work their way into that conversation. 
So we have the same five, just our tackles are switched. I, I would have a okay. Wagner as a left tackle in that scenario. And um, I wouldn't argue with that being the best lineup either. And in, in your I I just I think Emil Wagner would be a better left tackle than Tosh Baker, but I also like if 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 the spot up for grabs is right tackle, I think that I would lean towards Tosh Baker there. So I think that if if Blake Fisher does move to left tackle, I, I mean a lot of we're just guessing here. I don't know if Pat Coogan's gonna be sliding to center. I think that makes some sense to it could be anthropomorphic as well. It could be. It could be absolutely. Um, and uh, or it could be Ashton Craig too, who they liked a lot at center, and they've moved at Andrew Kristoffic this year because I think that he's more ready to play and has experience. So, um, my my only argument with Ashton Craig is if if Joe Rudolph truly is, I want my five best on the field. I don't think Ashton Craig is in the top five. And maybe I'm being unfair to him, but I just don't think that's – I think somebody else needs to be retrofitted into a center like Harry was able to do so successfully with guys like Nick Martin and Jarrett Patterson, uh, who was actually Jeff Quinn's project. Okay. Um, next question from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Let's assume Notre Dame decides to get a quarterback from the portal and they are going to go after a potential starter. Portal names are starting to surface a little bit right now. For each of you of the names that you have heard surfacing, who would be definite takes? I'll get you started with Riley Leonard and Michael Pratt. Would either be would either or both be definite takes? What about others you have heard that might enter the portal? Yeah, and and might is the right word to use there because uh I think there are players that certainly are willing to listen, but are are not definitely going to the portal and have a lot of options. Some of them can go to the NFL and so forth. So let's start with the two that you threw out there, Murray. Riley Leonard. Um, I, assuming he would w- even want to leave Duke or not go into the NFL draft, and right now there's a lot of projections of him as a potential first-rounder, I'm not sure that Notre Dame could get him through the door. Um, I don't know how close he is to his degree. Uh, that Duke is a high academic school. Maybe it makes it a little bit more like the Northwestern transfers that they've been able to get as underclassmen. But he's kind of in that sweet spot of Notre Dame not taking somebody like that. N- now, let's say that that's not an issue. He's never been a high pass efficiency guy, and he's gone backwards this year. I love him a lot as a quarterback, but I think for him to come to Notre Dame, you'd have to kind of redo Notre Dame's offense. Uh, As far as Michael Pratt, I take him in a heartbeat. He's improved every year. He can help you a little bit in the run game. Uh, The other two that kind of names have been floating that I like, especially Cameron Ward of Washington State, um cam rising of utah is interesting he's a guy that doesn't have a particularly high um pass efficiency rate ever um he would be a seventh year senior so he's he's going to have to get a waiver to get that seventh year he's coming off an acl tear so does he lose some of the mobility he had early in his career when he was a better runner so out of those four Pratt would be my first choice and Cameron Ward would be my second. Yeah. 
I'm surprised that you are down on Riley Leonard based on how you were talking about him before the Duke game. I love him. <laughs> I just don't see him fitting in the Notre Dame offense like he fits in other offenses. I, I love Riley Leonard. And I think um, he would be a higher pass efficiency guy in Notre Dame's with the talent he would have around him at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I, so I tried to like, I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't have any in-depth reporting on any of these guys or like where they're at with their degrees and all that stuff. So I just sort of took it at face value of guys that are towards the end of their careers and could potentially be grad transfers, but I don't know that they all could or would. Um, so Riley Leonard would be a take for me. Matt Pratt would be a take. A Cam Ward, I think, would also be a take. The other two guys, Tyler Van Dyke, I think, is someone that there was discussions of whether he would go into the portal. I don't know that. I would see him as a take. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't love him at, at Miami. Um, Cam Rising was someone that fo- I know folks on the inside lounge were talking about. I don't know that I would be in love with Cam Rising either as a take, um, with his injury history and stuff like that. So, um, I I don't see a long list currently, but I also don't. I mean, I, I don't have intimate information on all the all the like uh, senior quarterbacks across the country that I could um, tell you whether or not they would be a fit at Notre Dame and those kinds of things. But um, I think it's a little early for us to know all these names. We're, we're still in October here. Um, granted, it'll be November tomorrow, but um, I think uh, there's still plenty of time for all this to play out. All right, next question is from Mr. Nev at Mr. Irish Red. Do we have 12 games for next year? A few questions from Mr. Nev. Why does the NCAA count bowl games for the four-game limit? Transfer portal positions besides quarterback. I saw some people complain about ND throwing late versus Pitt. What are they supposed to do when Pitt is blitzing? So let's let's break those down one at a time, Eric. First one was, do we have 12 games for next year? Yes, Notre Dame is going to play Army as the 12th game. All right. They just haven't announced it. Why does the NCAA count bowl games for the four-game limit? Because they're stupid. Um, you know, I mean, I think they had that role before there were many opt-outs in college football. Now that there are a lot of people opting out of bowl games, the thing that they did last year was they made a waiver that if your fifth game was the bowl game, that that wouldn't count against your four-game limit. So you could play in the bowl game right. without that counting against the four games that you had previously played. My anticipation is that will happen again, that they will either make that a permanent rule or they will have a waiver again this year. Yeah. I haven't seen anything announced on that yet, but I I think you're right. I think it makes sense. It seems kind of silly to hold that against those players. um, And especially in this transfer portal era, like guys are going to be leaving for the portal and opting out for the NFL before the bowl game. And so they, they need Teams need to have guys available to play if they want these bowl games to happen. So I think uh, I think that would make sense. What transfer portal positions do you think Notre Dame should look at besides quarterback? I mean, I think you have to look at every position to see if you can upgrade your roster. Mm-hmm. I think the most realistic off the top of my head, and again, I'm going to try to anticipate who would be leaving or at least what positions that you might need some help. Um, I think 
we we talked about this on football never sleeps i think wide receiver makes some sense yep i think you know defensive end and defensive tackle makes some sense look at what great production i know you have some good young players coming up but there's nothing wrong with uh, having a veteran productive player help bring those guys along so i like the defensive end and defensive tackle positions mm-hmm. i would look at somebody at safety you could kind of clear out all, all those safeties. The only one that has to leave is DJ Brown, but Antonio Carter could leave. Xavier Watts is a senior with some eligibility left. Same with Ramon Henderson. Uh, and then you would have a lot of turnover. I think it would be good to have an older hand at safety. M- maybe tight end, you'll have the numbers. I think it's how close they think um, – Eli Reardon would be to turning into the Eli Reardon they expected him to be. And also if they, after the surgery for uh, Mitchell Evans, if there was some positive feedback about him being back for summertime, summer workouts and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You covered a lot of ground there. That, so I don't want to rehash a lot of it. I, the safety one, I think, I don't know if Notre Dame is losing one of Carter and Watts, then I think I would, if that, if they don't lose those guys, then I probably wouldn't go after a safety. Right. Right. Um, Maybe, maybe that sort of like the Thomas Harper nickelback safety combo would be something worth exploring. Cause I think that's just a valuable position nickelback in, in today's game. And um, I know Micah Bell, someone they've had working there, but, um, you're not, you're not going to have Claire, probably not having Clarence Lewis there again. He's also been a backup at, at the nickelback position. It, so, it's nice to have a safety size at that position because it helps you in the run game. You can blitz or at least like Thomas Harper yeah. doesn't have safety size, but someone that can tackle like a safety. Right. Um, and he played safety. At right. But yeah, I do think he's an under, he would, he's probably an undersized safety, but he yeah. definitely has that safety skill set. Um, in right. terms of being physical and, and being able to tackle near the line of scrimmage. Um, offense, uh, I, like left tackle to me, like if you could find a great left tackle, um, I would be willing to entertain that. I think that's probably not very likely, but I think that's something at least, um, and maybe that's just a continuation of me not believing that Blake Fisher should be Notre Dame's left tackle next season. Um Outside of that, yeah, the defensive line I think is is a good one. Like I think, Probably more on the like, the edges than the interior. Um, I think they they could still use some help um, at those defensive end spots, um, even though there are some young guys that you like there. Um, and, and I'm anticipating Mills and uh, Cross to leave, but I I know that there's still a lot of numbers there interior. Right. Um. And then those are probably the main ones i think to a receiver obviously yeah we mentioned that uh the show i think i think you almost have to go after at least one receiver probably i mean maybe after if if their name gets two more good receiving classes but i think i think receiver is a position we'll probably see a lot of attrition at um around the country i just think that's a lot that's a role that guys want to play like people don't want to sit around and wait at the wide receiver position um, and so I think that would be something that, that Notre Dame could consider as well. All right. Uh, what else did we have for Mr. Nev? Uh, <laughs> about 
people were complaining about Notre Dame throwing late versus Pitt. Yeah, what are they supposed to do when Pitt is blitzing? Did you? I didn't know that. I I don't know that I saw that. Although I know people were complaining that Mitchell Evans was playing in the third quarter and then he got hurt. But maybe Pat Narduzzi was complaining about it back in Pittsburgh. I was complaining that Pitt was running the ball because <laughs> I had a prop bet that. Jeremiah Love would have more rushing yards than Sebo Flemister. And then I got really mad when I saw Pat Narduzzi's comments that Sebo wouldn't come out of the game. <laughs> like, Who's the coach here? You need to pull him out. You need to be throwing the ball down 7-58. to 58. And That's where I had an issue. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I uh, that was it was great fun. And towards the end of the game, Eric was going back and forth and <laughs> with the with the the love and Sebo and cheering for uh for his his side there. All right, our last question: twenty twenty four booth announcers for the love of the Lord, they need a change. And that question's from at Golden Domer two eight one. You know, Tyler, I don't know if you listen with the. Do you listen to the game with the sound on when you do the film reviews? I generally don't. If there's like a if there's a play that I see them like drawing up things for, then I'll unmute it. I usually I'm like listening to a podcast or something while I'm doing it. Um, and I'm doing so much like rewind and back and forth, so it would be just annoying if I just kept hearing them say the same things over and over again. It's not like a reflection of the broadcast itself, um, but just in the way that I'm sort of watching it for the things I'm looking for, it it can be a little bit distracting. Um, I, I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge on it. I, I was, I didn't go to Navy. So, and Jack Collinsworth was ill for the Navy game. Mm -hmm. So I have not heard this team yet do a game together. Um, I have heard a lot of criticism, probably as much about the play by play guy as I've heard in a long, long time now, when Mike Tirico is your predecessor, right? You're not going to get I think a lot of complaints. It's going to make it really difficult for whoever walks in the door next. Um, but I have not heard a lot of good, and I've heard from people in the broadcasting business that aren't enamored with that uh, pairing either. So all I can say is you have company in your um, in your thoughts about needing a change, but. I don't have specific point of reference to to pile on to that. Yeah, and I I I think it's more than just Jack Collinsworth too. I don't know that Jason Garrett is the most dynamic guy. He does he does explain some things well, but I think that should be sort of the baseline, right? Like yeah. that's, that's sort of the job. Um so uh yeah, I I I think I think one of the things I've seen people say is that like they feel like and maybe and maybe Jack's like compensating for being an, a Notre Dame alum. Like he doesn't want to come off as a Notre Dame cheerleader, so he doesn't may he doesn't show the same excitement that sometimes Mike Tirico would on big plays. Um, and so maybe that that is something that he's trying to figure out and work himself through. Um, so uh, I don't know if those guys will be back next year or not, but I I I definitely agree with Eric in that. There's been a lot of. Um, criticism that we've that we've seen come across the timeline um, in terms of how Notre Dame fans feel about the current NBC broadcasters. And people have very strong opinions about that. Whenever I post, like when it's ABC or an ESPN team, they definitely have opinions about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to say, like, people don't love the guys that aren't on NBC too, right? Like, you get yeah. complaints when there's ESPN or ABC guys and everyone thinks so-and-so is biased or whatnot. 
Um, so I think I think no matter who your combination is, you're probably going to see a lot of complaints. But um, I don't know that I've seen a ton of compliments um, at, at, of, of late. So um, we'll see if there's a change. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who had a killer Halloween costume this year or someone who's willing to snowblow for you because we're already getting snow here in South Bend and in Mishawaka here on Halloween. Uh, I wanted to share one of the reviews we had uh, earlier this month uh, on Apple Podcast from Dylan at 1991. Headlined, best guest slash most balanced analysis of ND Podcast. Eric is the OG of modern ND football reporting, reporting and as a result brings both great perspective and lasting relationships with top former players and administrators to add vibrancy and history to discussions of current teams. Tyler calls it as he sees it and has a great conversational style both of which are welcome. Each episode is a fun listen. So thank you, Dylan at 1991 for that great review. Um, I'll, I'll, my conversational style might just be that I'm bad at reading, but um, (laughs) uh, I no, I appreciate it. And I, I try to like not take this too seriously and be too professional broadcasty. So um, we appreciate everyone for listening. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30 day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out, a subscription to InsideNDSports.com, so you can take advantage of that with the code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. And then we will be back later in the week on YouTube with our Place Your Bets and our post-game takeaways. But in the meantime, we will have plenty of content coming your way on InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>